Okay, well, look, uh, this morning I'm going to pick up kind of where Ian has been, uh, has left off. You remember Ian? Yes. Yes. Who? If, well, if you can't remember, we're in real trouble. Yes, good. He's the tall one that comes up occasionally. So a very quick uh, recap then on what Ian has been talking about in terms of our uh, Luke series. So Ian was speaking about the, looking at the passage where the 72 disciples were about to be sent off on their first missions trip. Do you remember this? Good, good. I'm glad you do. That's very good. (laughs) And they were about to go off on their first missions trip, and uh, Jesus was going to send them off two by two into every town where Jesus himself was about to go. So he was going to kind of do like a follow-up trip, but he was going to send them out first. And uh, if you recall, he talks to his disciples just before he sends them out. And uh, he says to them, what does he say about the harvest? It's plentiful. He says, the harvest is really out there. There are lots of people who want to get saved, who want to be healed, who want to encounter the things of God. But then he said, there's a problem. What problem does he say there is? Not enough laborers. Yeah, harvesters. So he says, I want you to pray that more people will do what you're doing right now, 72, and go out and uh, share this word. And then he gives them a very specific list of what to take and what not to take, what to do and what not to do. And it's kind of bizarre slightly, but this is what he says. He says, don't take a money bag. Can can anyone else remember anything else that he said? Don't take sandals, he said. Don't take a knapsack. Don't greet anyone on the road. Yeah, he tells them how to enter someone's house and bring the peace of God on that house. He tells them not to worry about uh, what they eat, which for devout Jews is quite a thing. But that's what he says. No, don't do that. Don't worry about it. Eat whatever's put in front of you. Then he says, uh, don't go from house to house. Just if you find a house where the peace of God's on it, stay there. Don't move around. Then he says, uh, I want you specifically to do two things. What two things did Jesus ask them to do? To heal the sick, and and, and it's a very specific message he's got for them. He says this, tell them that the kingdom of heaven is near. That's the message. Don't do your own thing, do that, is what he tells them to do. And then uh, after he's said that, he moves on to about judgment. And he talks about judgment, and he said, look, if people do not receive this message that uh, I'm going to bring, judgment is going to fall on them. And he talks to them about the serious, you remember we had a serious week, didn't we, a couple of weeks ago, where we looked at this issue of judgment, and we realized, actually, when people reject the message of Christ, actually what they're doing is inviting judgment on themselves. And we saw the seriousness of that, and uh, the consequences. You know, the gospel that we have is a matter of life and death, isn't it? This, This message that we've been given and uh, that's something that Andre helpfully touched on last week, didn't he? This whole issue of eternity, the eternal reality of what we do right now in, in terms of life and death. Yeah? Can you give me a wave at the back? I'd just like to... Yeah, lovely. Good. There you are. I'd like to connect with everyone. That's great. Okay. So now we're going to pick it up. So, so they've been off on their missions trip. And now they are just coming back. We don't know how long they've been, but they're just returning. And that's where we're going to pick it up this week. So here we are, Luke 10. Then the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. 
And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over the, all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and the one to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see what you see and have not seen it. And to hear what you hear and have not heard it. Wow. So I want to encourage you with what Anne-Marie said about scripture. I just want to encourage you to be reading your Bible. Read it on a regular basis. And also study it. Yeah. Study it. Yeah. So read it and study it. And find out what it is. I've just found as I've been reading through this scripture. It's a scripture that... Uh, you know, I sought out the preaching rota, and I kind of gave it to myself thinking, I'm not kind of sure what I'm going to see in that. And the first time I read it, I thought, well, you know, okay. As I've been reading it, it's just more and more comes to light. And you think, this is, wow, this is an amazing passage of Scripture. So I want to encourage all of you, if you're not, to be in the Word of God, to be reading it regularly. Okay, now there are so many things in this Jesus makes this extraordinary statement here about Satan falling from heaven. I mean, what is that about? We've got to look at that, haven't we? What's that? He talks to them about having authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and having power over the enemy. We need to look at that. What does that mean? He talks about their names being written in heaven. Boy, we need to give some time to that. What, what does that mean? Um, he talks about information about God's kingdom being hidden to some and revealed to others. Why would he do that? Do you see what I mean? Suddenly when you look at this passage, all sorts of questions uh, start to come out. So we're going to start at the beginning. Here we are, verse 7. So let's start here. Then the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Why is it every time I preach, the passage has got demons in it? <laughs> this, it's kind of been a repeated thing. Isn't it? Anyway, there you go. That's what they say when they return. And we see that these disciples are buzzing, aren't they? They've come back from this missions trip and they're going, oh, it was, it was a blinder, Lord. That's what they said. It's a bit like our youth when they get off the New Day bus. You know what I mean? They're buzzing, aren't they? Wow, look at this and this. And they're really full of it. They're just amazed. And the thing that seems to be making these guys so joyful is not the number of people that have been saved. It's not the people that have been physically healed. What's amazed them is the authority that they carry and the authority over the demonic they're really, that's the thing that has blown them away. So it kind of, I kind of assume from that, it's probably not something they personally have seen before. 
But when they go off on mission, they're suddenly entering into new things. It's a bit of a lesson for us there. Sometimes when we step out into the new, some of this stuff that we read about comes alive to us. So that's what seems to have really uh, blown them away, that this level of authority that they wield. And Jesus doesn't dismiss this at all. Actually, he joins in with their joy. He does bring a bit of correction to it, but basically he joins in, doesn't he? And then he makes this extraordinary statement. Yes, he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I wonder what the reaction was when he said that. So all the disciples are going, yeah, it was great, it was great. Did you see that? And that happened. And Jesus just says, yeah, and I saw Satan fall like lightning from, from heaven. And they go, yeah, yeah, that. That what? <laughs> did I miss that? You did what? You, and, but I can imagine a lot of them, I mean, Peter would just bluster his way through that. Yes, yes, I thought that too. And, you know. <laughs> what does it mean? I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. We're just going to have a little look at that. I think Jesus is referring to two things in this statement. I think this statement means he is referring to the original fall of Satan. There is a reference to the historical fall of Satan. And that means we have to look at two chapters to, in order to understand that. We have to look at Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. Now, when you read these passages, they are sensibly about kings and the fate of uh, two kings, the king of Babylon and the king of Tyre. But as theologians and commentators have read these chapters, they've realized, actually, this is referring to more than just a human king. They begin to understand some of the language means it's talking about a supernatural being. And increasingly over the years, people have said, no, actually what these chapters are doing is telling us what happened to Satan. It's telling us about his original fall. And um, as you go through these chapters, we read that Satan was a created being. He was originally designed to be perfect and was perfect. He was incredibly beautiful. That's what these chapters will tell us. And he was blameless, described as a guardian cherub. But it seems that Satan's heart grew proud because of this incredible beauty. And uh, he became unrighteous and he sought basically to take God's place. And there was an attempted coup in heaven. He wanted to set himself above, I think it says above the, uh, the mountain of God. In other words, he wanted to be God. And then as soon as he challenges God, he is thrown out of heaven. And you come across these sorts of phrases in these. Uh, God says this, I cast you to the ground. He says this, how you are cut down to the ground. How you are fallen from heaven. That's the original. That's what happened when Satan challenges God. Boom. God's power comes. It's a ridiculous thing to do actually to challenge God. But he did it. And then he is cast down. He is cast out of heaven. And I think Jesus is making reference to this when he says, I saw Satan. Because he was there. He saw that original one. 
Now what's happening, of course, is the disciples are exercising the authority, the godly authority that they have, and they are now seeing the same thing happen except locally in all these villages and towns. So it's effectively a repetition of what happened before. Do you see what I mean? Satan has been cast down to the ground. That's what now the disciples are doing. They're casting out demons. They're casting him. We throw you to the ground. We're throwing you out. Get out. And which, of course, is what God did originally to this unrighteous uh, being of Satan and, and his demons. Because the kingdom of God advancing is about overcoming the kingdom of darkness. Isn't it? Jesus said, the Bible tells us that Jesus came to do what to the works of the evil one? Destroy the works of the evil one. And that's, of course, what the disciples have been doing. So I think it's, there's two references. It's the reference to the original fall of Satan, but it's also a reference to what's just happened. And the, the connection and the repetition of it. Does that make sense? Good. Then uh, verse 19, Jesus goes on to reaffirm the fact that his disciples have been given this authority to pull down the powers uh, of the enemy. I think there's considerable debate really as to what serpents and scorpions mean. Some people would say it's like a kind of um, hostile creation. Others would say, no, no, this is referring to uh, spiritual forces. But I think for me, when I look at that, it confirms the fact that as believers, we have authority over demonic forces. So when, when, as and when they come up, we can command them to get out. And I think those last few words are also very helpful. And nothing shall hurt you. Because actually, we've, Luke has introduced us to the reality of the demonic, hasn't he, already? And we, what, how do they react? They scream, they shout, they say things that aren't true about Jesus, don't they? That's what we've read uh, in the past. Yet, God is saying, hey, you can take authority over them. No matter what they say and what the histrionics that go on, nothing will hurt you. And actually, that's important for us because the reality of the demonic is scary. Or can be, can't it? But God says there is nothing to be scared of. So, I trust you're encouraged by that. Then Jesus goes on to say this, verse 20. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That's, hey, you've been saved. You've been saved. Jesus has come and rescued you, eternally rescued you. Your salvation is the main reason for joy and gratitude in your life. There is no greater reason for joy and gratitude in your life. Because you've been saved. You have been rescued. You know, it's a massive source of deep meaningful joy because there is nothing that will make more difference to you in your life than salvation think of your best day was it the day your kids were born was it the day you got married was it the day that Everton won the FA Cup I mean it's a long time ago long time ago yeah no obviously no they've never done that nothing compares to your salvation nothing 
It's not even close to it. Now, um, your salvation won't be a source of great joy to you if you continually forget about it, which is what we all tend to do, or if you have not realized what you've been saved from. I think many of us know we need to be saved and know we are, but it's kind of, you know, basically good, but I know I've been saved from something bad, but I'm not quite sure what. And also, if you don't realize your salvation not only saves you, but then brings you into something, brings you into relationship with God. Now, if you know your Bibles well, when you hear these words from Jesus about names being written in heaven, you will automatically, I think, Think of Revelations chapter 20. Good, I'm glad you agree. <laughs> and here, in Revelation chapter 20, there, it talks about there being books in heaven. And books that are opened. And one of these books is called the Book of Life, and it includes a list of names. And I think that is what Jesus is talking, to, uh, talking about. And so let's just read Revelations 20. And this is uh, John, and he, this is what he's seeing. And he said, I saw the dead. This is Judgment Day. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. It's an awesome day. Books, I imagine these big books being opened. And then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books the content of these books matter. And if anyone's name, listen to this, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Yeah. And the Bible describes that as the second death. Can I say to you, the word of God says this, that's where you and I were headed you and I would have been thrown into that lake of fire, and the Bible would have said, and you deserved it. That would have been the right place for you and I. But Jesus has come, and he has saved us. He has rescued us. That is now no longer our fate. We are not going there. Look at what he's got for us instead. The total opposite. Revelation 21. Oh, what's happened there? Anyway, Revelation 21. Revelation chapter 21. There, look, there it is. Revelation 21 says this. There you see? Behold, this is again John seeing. And this is, this, is, uh, this is the day when God says, I, I have made a new heaven and a new earth. And then he says, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them like we read about with Adam and Eve. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Do you see what he's bringing us into? The Bible says this, that, that uh, uh, no eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has in store for those who love him. We're coming into something that the Bible tells us is remarkable in its beauty. It's so great, we can't really grip it right now. It's like, I, like a fish trying to ride a bicycle. It can't do it, you know what I mean? How does that work? It couldn't, and anyway, a fish has only got a 10-second memory, hasn't it? So, 
couldn't do it. And it's like us. We can't grip what it is that God has for us. So do you understand what you've been rescued from? Let me tell you a story that will help. And it's about these two guys. So we've got to go back to July 1941. And a prisoner has escaped from Auschwitz. And as a reprisal for this escape, the Gestapo select 10 men to die in a starvation bunker. And one of the men was called uh, Francis, I'm probably going to muller this name, so apologies, something like Guy Wanicek. And he was, when he was selected, uh, this man cries out. And he says, oh, he says, my poor wife and my children, they will never see me again. And he was clearly very, very distressed. And at that moment, a little guy steps forward. He normally has little uh, wire glasses on. He's a Polish man. And he takes off his hat and he says, well, I'm a Catholic priest. So I don't have a wife and I don't have children. I would like to die in that man's place. And to everyone's amazement, his offer is accepted, and Francis is taken out of the uh, line, and this man, Maximilian Colby, is put into the line, and they're all led off, and they all go into the starvation bunker. And um, uh, he was an amazing guy. Apparently, he got them all singing hymns, and they were all worshipping. He completely changes the atmosphere in that bunker. And uh, he is, though, the last one to die, and he died on uh, August the 14th. And uh, they needed the bunker for other people, so he was given a lethal injection of carbolic acid, and he died. 41 years later, this man, Maximilian Colby, was recognized and, uh, in, by the Pope, actually, in Rome. And he said, this man's death was a victory. It was a victory like that of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because he, in love, he gave himself for the life of another. And then when uh, Francis Gavanicek died at the age of 93, his obituary said that he had spent the rest of his life going round, telling people, anyone who would listen, uh, about this man, Maximilian Colby. In fact, uh, he told a translator chaplain just before he died, he said, so long as he had breath in his lungs, he would consider it his duty to tell people about the heroic act of love by Maximilian Colby. Now, the reason he did that was because he knew what he'd been rescued from. He knew he had been saved from an absolutely horrendous death. And how much more has Jesus saved us from an absolutely horrendous death for eternity? An eternal horrendous death. He is our rescuer. He has saved us from it. Let me ask you a question. What do you rejoice in most? If you're honest, do you rejoice in your salvation? Does it make you glad? Well, I'm, if it does, that's great. If it doesn't, and you're really honest, well, you know, yeah, maybe, maybe not. I'd like us to pray at the end, maybe. We're going to ask God in his mercy to reveal to us why it should be your primary source of joy. More than anything else in your life, your salvation should be your primary source of joy.
And, you know, and if we are joyful and excited about our salvation, what are we going to do with it? We're going to tell people, aren't we? We're going to do a, a Francis Gavinicek, and we're going to say, I'm going to tell everyone who'll listen. So we're going to pray that God will help us with that one. Let's move on. Verse 21. Jesus then said, in that, in that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. The word rejoicing here means exuberant gladness that fills the heart. So in other words, Jesus is absolutely full of rejoicing. Isn't it fantastic to see Jesus full of joy rejoicing? Yeah, okay, well, I thought it was quite good. And I, I read it, I thought, oh, that does me good, Lord, to know you were rejoicing. So what's he rejoicing about? Well, Jesus is delighted at the progress his disciples have made. He's really thrilled about it. He's absolute, look at what they have done. Look at the progress they've made, the authority that they, they've carried. Look at what they've accomplished. You know, God loves it when you understand more about him. He loves it. Your progress in God delights him. It delights him. He's thrilled about it. He takes a real keen interest in how you're doing. He's not an absent parent. When you come home and say, I've got an A, and the parent just says, oh, nice. You know, no, he loves it. He's thrilled. He will celebrate. I remember a quick story. Uh, um, my eldest son, when he was a very little boy, he wasn't quite one, I don't think. He uh, used to move around the house by shuffling on his bottom. Had this very strange sort of shuffle, which he kind of did. <laughs> He's not here, I can tell the story. And uh, the day came when uh, the toy box was open. And he, he shuffled up to the toy box, and he got his hands on the top of the toy box, and he lifted himself up. And he stood, and he was shaking as he did it, you know. Oh, and he made a little you know, noise like that. Oh, oh, oh. Kind of happy to be standing, but terrified at the heights. He'd, he'd, oh. And he stood. And it was the first time he stood. You remember that day? He stood. And he was really you know, euphoric, and then fell head over heels, straight into the toy box. <laughs> Little legs. <laughs> I remember that. I can't tell you how thrilled I was. My son stood for the first time. Ah, we were thrilled. I still, I'm still thrilled when I think about it now. God the Father is thrilled when you stand. You have a Father who loves you. He's for you. He's cheering you on. We, we read in the book of Re Revelation that the saints cheer us on. Heaven is going, come on, saints. You are great. I love you. So that's quite good then. <laughs> now, the other thing this passage tells us is that some information, some of the things of God are hidden, and some of it is revealed. So, of course, when you see something like that, the question is, Why? Because we live in a society that wants to tell you everything. Here it is. As easy as you possibly... This is how this washing machine works. Here it is. Apart from the fact we can't be bothered to read it. It's all there if you want it. 
Why would God want to hide stuff from some and reveal it to others? Well, the passage tells us that he wants to reveal stuff to who? Little children. And he wants to hide it from the wise and the understanding. Right, think about those two categories. What are little children like? They are trusting. They are free from doubt very often, aren't they? They're genuine, they're sincere, they're humble, and they're not important in their own eyes. The complete opposite from the wise and the understanding. I think you'll find I know what I'm doing and I can handle this. I am wise and I, I know what to do. I don't need you, God. I can do this. Two different categories. See, the 72 have just gone out on mission. Why did they go on mission? They went because they trusted Jesus. Jesus said, I want you to go. So they went, yes, Lord, we'll go. Jesus asked them to do a bunch of specific things. Don't take sandals. Don't take a money bag. Don't greet people on the road. This is the message I want you to speak. He gave them a whole bunch of very specific things. Do you think those 72 did what he asked? Yeah, I think he did too. In that sense, those 72 were childlike. They said, yes, Lord, we obey you. I, I wonder how many of them thought, not take sandals. That's an absurd idea. Do you know what happens if you cut your foot on the road? Not take any money. How are we going to eat? Do you think they thought that? I bet they did. But they said, but Lord, you've said it, so we yield to you. They were not wise and understanding in their own eyes. The 72 had all sorts of authority revealed to them because they humbled themselves to the word of God. I wonder if it had been a different story had they not said, yes, Lord, and humbled themselves. I wonder, I wonder if that wouldn't have happened. I wonder. I wonder. Let me tell you a story. Um, I think I've got most of the bits of this right. Forgive me, it was a long time ago. But There was a woman who was always late. Late to everything. 15, 20 minutes, sometimes a bit longer. But she was always late to everything. And one day a friend tackled her on this. That's the evidence of being a good friend, by the way. You'll tackle your friends on the stuff they, you know. And they decided, she said, I don't know why I'm always late. So they decided to pray. And as they were praying, the lady remembered how her mother always chivied her when she was young. Always said, don't be late. Put this on, get ready. Make sure that you're not going to be late. Come on, we mustn't be late. And over the years, what happened... This lady quietly said to herself, stop telling me what to do. I am sick of this. And there was a little bit of rebellion that grew up that just said, I'll do it in my own time. Thank you very much. I don't want to be controlled, and I think there's an element of that. And as they prayed, she remembered what that was. Now, she had grown up, and she, you know, I think her mama died, but she was still late, being late to everything. So she repented. She just, her words were, I recognize some rebellion in my heart. Rebellion against authority. I'm going to do this the way I want to do it, not the way I'm being asked. Thank you very much. How do you do with authority? 
You see, the disciples had to submit to Jesus' authority before they were allowed to wield it. How do you do with authority? Do you submit to it? I don't mean brainlessly, you know what I mean. But do you submit to it? Or do you decide that you have a better way of doing things? You know, rebellion against authority is a big deal in Scripture. It's a big deal. In the Old Testament, it says rebellion is like witchcraft. It's on that level as far as God is concerned. It's a very big deal. And uh, like this story, sometimes rebellion isn't always obvious. It's not outward. It's like, not like a stroppy teenager rebellion, you know, no, I'm not doing that. Sometimes it's quiet and it's just on the inside. I'm not going to do that, but I'll keep it quiet and covered. Submit to God's ways. Let me ask you some questions. Have you been baptized? What does the word of God say about baptism? Repent and be baptized. Have you been baptized? Well, no, I, I don't think I will. Oh, okay. How are you doing with forgiveness? Can you forgive? What does the word of God say about forgiveness? It says it's not an option for Christians. just want to challenge you about whether you submit yourself to God when his word tells you to do something do you do it his word says don't commit, commit sexual sin how are you doing on that if you're having sex outside of a married relationship the bible would say that's sin That's cheered you up, Mike. <laughs> Let's move on. Verse 22. Okay. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son uh, is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and the one to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Okay. I think that uh, opening line says this. God is in total, has total authority. All, uh, uh, he said, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. That's the God that we serve. All things are in his hands, whether they are going well for you or not. The truth is, all things are in his hands. I think also, we, we sometimes use this verse to talk about salvation. People can only get saved when God reveals who he is to them, don't we? Actually, I think it's more than that. I think... If we want to know more of God, we need more of God's revelation. And that will only come if we have the right attitude. And then the Son will reveal the Father to us. You see that? The, the Father is only revealed uh, by the Son when the Son chooses it to be uh, right. And the Son is looking for people who have the right attitude. And then he can say, I can tell you more. Do you want to know more about God? Okay, let's have a right attitude. Let's move on quickly. Last two verses. Um, Jesus, I think here, is making it very clear 
that we live in a really extraordinary period of time. Uh, if we have the right heart, the right attitude, we can access the things of God that pre-Christian generations could never access. We can have a guarantee of salvation. We can be filled with the Holy Spirit. We can know God uh, intimately ourselves. We can be part of a kingdom, the kingdom of God, and the destruction of the works of the evil one. We can walk with the one who has been given everything. Let's make sure we press in. Let's not end our lives by saying, do you know what? I never really got hold of that. Let's deal with those wrong attitudes in our heart as well, eh? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you are such a good God. I thank you that your word is so rich and it's so full. Lord Jesus, I thank you that it's designed to challenge us. It's designed to deal with wrong attitudes in our heart. Lord, I thank you that you are God and that you do not change and that we need to change. I thank you for the reality of that and I thank you for your tender kindness in helping us change. So Holy Spirit, I ask, why don't, you, why don't we just have a moment here of being quiet to invite the Holy Spirit to come and speak to us. He may already be speaking to your heart. We're just going to have a moment just to just kind of ponder, really, the things that I've just preached. So let's just do that for a minute. Father, I thank you that you love us and you speak to us because you want us to know you more and you're looking for the delight of our progress in you. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come and help us to move forward to be more and more shaped by the word of God into the people that you want us to be. Father, come and speak to us even this week. We'll let these words come back to us. Yeah, in Jesus' name. Amen.